0: I guess in a weird way, I, like, not necessarily want to, like, explain myself, but, like, sure, Uh, (laughs) is that, like, it it is a weird thing about, like, my identity in that, like, and I've talked about this in, in other podcasts and actually, like, I talked about this pretty recently in one that, like, hasn't been released yet, but it's, like, it's difficult whenever, like, I didn't grow up in venezuela i don't have like a direct sort of cultural association and for pretty much all of my like adolescence and growing up like it wasn't a priority either because of just like the the fact that like the social pressure of having to fit in as a non-white kid growing up in oklahoma but also the fact that like i i've grown up undocumented and so there was always this paranoia about like if people like discover me i will you know get deported it's or precarious, something yeah and so it it was always like that like you said the the colonizer mentality was in there in in kind of a, a life or death sort of way in that like if i don't fit in Like, I could literally have, I could literally be ripped away from the life that I have here. From the only home you've (laughs) known. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, it is, it is weird because it's like, yeah, my adolescence was kind of like founded in that. And so now as an adult, I'm like, I don't have a lot of Venezuela in myself to hold on to. And so it's not so much that I like don't value that I am Venezuelan, it's just that I find that culture in general is is kind of fluid and who i am isn't necessarily based on where i'm from but it's just like what i am and what i'm doing and what i consume and and so like the the weird part about it is that like i identify way more with like radiohead than I do like salsa music.
1: But is Radiohead white culture? And that's that's where I was getting at is this colonial mentality and conflation of whiteness with certain things. Like Radiohead isn't I mean, like we can joke that it's like white boy stuff, but it's not really white stuff. And and like I mean, they're, they're from England, but so it's not like white and American, but a lot of the things that you said, and, and the only reason I bring this up is because I think it was the last one I listened to, I listened to a, a good handful of your podcasts, but right before I listened to the Troy Anthony small one and you conflated, you said at one point you're 90% white and then you're like, but my driver's license is temporary. So you were equating like permanent residency or citizenship with whiteness. Like that being lacking. And I'm not saying you were consciously doing, I think going back to colonial mentality, it's a subconscious or implicit association. Uh, that's negative and anti-brown. And when I say anti-brown, I don't mean like you're a racist or anything. I think it's, it's driven into all of us, including myself. Like I've had to overcome it. I still have to overcome it. I can't recommend that book by EJR David called Brown Skin, White Minds Enough. It specifically talks about Filipino Americans and Filipinos specifically living abroad, but like it's a Phil Am thing. Yet it's really broadly contextualizing it and can be uh, modulated to other ethnic minorities, I think, especially like Venezuelan Americans as yourself. You don't have to identify with Venezuela, but more of understanding that your position is of a hyphenated American, Um, whether or not and that's an that's an imposed identity. Put on yourself and you said like i'm white passing and i'm like well maybe if that's if that's how you see yourself and that's how you view yourself that's fine that's your identity that's how you can break it down but like i have a feeling you said you never experienced a, a racial like incident and i'm like you know i still haven't power to you i maybe you have and you just colonial mentality i think it runs deep I, yeah i don't know it ran deep for me man i i've been where you are not that's not to say like i've i'm better or worse like i've been there Um, I've been very much like protectionist with, uh, you know, patriarchal white culture because it's, it's a survival thing, as you said. So, um, do you, do you consider yourself to be a person of color or do you consider yourself to be a white person?
0: I am a person of color. And I think that's just, (laughs) like I said before is, you know, my name is still Santiago Ramones and like, I'm not gonna like i can't show people uh, to use the driver's license thing again Uh, i can't show people my driver's license and be like i'm you know american but like i'm not and i like so far i can't be but you're conflating still whiteness with americanness uh yeah and that's that's a funny thing but like (laughs) and the funny thing is you were talking Uh, to a black man thank you
1: you were talking to a black man and he didn't call you out for that and i and i i think it's because it runs so deep you know and you at one point brought up and I just listened to this. this is the only reason why I can like recall this right, stuff right, right. is you brought up like <laughs> new Orleans being a, a melting pot and, and like Creoles and stuff. And I'm like, well, okay, but these mixed raced individuals, when that was, you know, a thing, it still is a thing, but like when the specific time period, I think you were talking about when that began to happen um, and we were thinking politically, they still didn't have power. You know, they still didn't have the privilege. They were still seen as like second class. Um, And there might've been a colorist hierarchy within that. And in the Filipino community, there's a colorist hierarchy with that as well. Um, But thinking, right, like you're conflating whiteness with Americanness, and you're conflating like Radiohead with whiteness. And I'm like, I know plenty of people of color that love radio, I love Radiohead. Like, you know, like I'm down with Radiohead. That doesn't make me, that doesn't like pure, like point me on the spectrum to more whiteness. Does, Does that make sense? And so like white culture sure, it can be a thing, but like American culture is different from white culture. And so I think having the, the association implicitly with that is a more positive way to look at yourself in the mirror, whether or not you see yourself Brown or white or whatever, but understanding that like white culture is different from like French culture or something, you know, like, or like British culture, you know, like the,
0: I, I think I'm I'm kind of identifying it a little bit and, and this this dialogue is good because I like it helps me to sort of identify those unchecked like biases in, in myself. But it's uh I think it might be a language thing in that for in in Spanish, the like the word gringo doesn't mean white people necessarily can and a lot of the time does but gringo actually just means american uh and so like more often the word gringo was used to refer to white people uh but it also just means american and so maybe that's where like the association is happening in my head that like i am basically a gringo. In that I've grown up American and that barrier (laughs) between uh, gringo being white and gringo being American is like still not being clear to my head. That's funny. And
1: that's a really great example. But flying, uh, you know, going with that language. In the same interview, you said like there's not a trace of Spanish accent on me, and there was like a pride to that. So it goes back to this ideology of non-quote unquote a- like semantically, we all have an accent. We don't need to get into that. But you have like a non-Spanish American, you know, non-Spanish English uh, dialect, right? And that does not make you better or worse than having a Spanish influenced dialectic accent, right? Or dialect, excuse me, I'm, I'm screwing up the words. Uh, In the same way that like Troy was talking about dialect, you didn't use dialect, you used accent. He used the term dialect. And I think that's interesting because we, we think about, or he used the term, uh, excuse me, not dialect, diction. And I think you can have, like, I'm over enunciating certain things because this is a podcast and we don't have any visual aid. And so I need to be like a little bit crisper, you know. Uh, my my diction is maybe a little bit better than if we were face to face, just having a conversation. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm whiteifying myself, or or uh, we use the term code switching, or we there is a term called code switching, which is taking it's more specifically, I believe, through the articles and research that I've read, uh, affected with African American English vernacular, AAEV, AAEV, in that. You code switch and sound white, like there's a white voice in professional settings. And and Troy was alluding to this in certain ways. And what was funny is throughout the second interview, his like kind of New York accent started coming out a little bit more and he started using like slightly more slang. And I was like, so he's he's breaking down this barrier and he's he's kind of acknowledged this code switching. And so is it seeping out because of like a subco- sub- subconscious like awareness of code switching and you're talking about it. And so he's, he's switching back to like, maybe a more, uh, uh, amicable or friendly, like, 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 I shouldn't say friendly, a casual way of talking. And so again, you have this conflation with non-Spanish accents being American and being better. And so when we look at asymmetrical relationships, when we look at power dynamics, you are reinforcing a if I may say like a white supremacist system in that you are favoring things that you code as white as being better versus things you code as being black, being inferior. There's a great implicit association test that I, my my partner's white. And so I got, I got her to do it and we did it at the same time. And, uh, it has words like on the left column, it has American, but some, uh, uh, letters are missing. So you have to fill in the blank and like fill out the word American. And then on the right column, uh, it has Filipino. It was a Filipino coded, or um, specifically one for fil- Filipino stuff. So in the in the right column, it says Filipino, but a couple letters are missing. Then back in the left column in the row below it, it had like Washington DC as the, the scrambled word, not scrambled, but like a couple letters missing. And then it had Manila, on and on and on, like several rows, several rows, several rows. And the last two rows, In the left column, it had white, and the right column, it had brown, and then in the bottom left, it had blank, 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 E-R-I-O-R. And in the bottom right, it had blank, 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 E-R-I-O-R. So the implicit association with her was, and it it doesn't mean that she's racist. It doesn't mean anybody's racist if you think that. It just means we are being entrained in this culture. She went superior, inferior, inferior. Without a, a single, like, she didn't skip a beat. And, and she was like, oh my God, I can't believe I did this. Uh, funny enough, so there's there's colonial mentality, which I believe that you're working through right now. And on the opposite end of the spectrum is something called cultural mistrust. And this is a, a term used, and I'm not a psychologist or anything, but like broadly used in the psychology community regarding ethnic, ethnic minorities or those with less power in a cultural setting. Um, and I fall... I lean that way and I'm trying to find equilibrium in that I have more distrust in sy- in systems and institutions. That doesn't mean I'm like, like an anarchist or anything, but I have a healthy skepticism about certain things. And so when I took the test, I put inferior, superior. So the white, and, and that doesn't mean that I'm anti-white racist. Like I'm not against white people. That was just, wow, that's coded in me because I have uh, cultural mistrust, which is uh, a healthy skepticism based on... On uh, experiences within my life, and I think if you go back in your life, and I'm not trying to like, I don't, I don't know your life or anything, but I think if you go back and, and review things and try to not protect um, those in power, you may find incidents of racial, racially charged incidents. That's not to say that you're a victim. That's not to say like, oh, let's throw you a pity party. But I'm like, until I was 20, I was like, no, I haven't experienced any racism. And I'm like, oh my god, no, I have. And I was like going back and going like, wow, that happened and that happened and that happened. And I'm not, I'm not, it's not victimhood. It's, it's reclaiming some power based on these asymmetric relationships that are out of balance. And I don't hold any grudge or anything against anybody. It's like, I'm realizing this so that I may address it when it comes up. And I don't have this like paranoia when I go into a relationship or talk with somebody. It's I have an openness. But when something happens, and even to this day, like somebody could say something really egregiously, egregiously racist to me or about me or about somebody else. And I walk away from the conversation and I reflect on it later and go, whoa, that was kind of messed up. You know, like we, it, it doesn't mean that we're like super woke or like conscious about it 24 seven, but it's this goal to be aware of these power dynamics and how we can address them.
0: And that's really cool because like yeah, I in a weird way it to me it doesn't feel like I'm defending the colonizer uh or at least like not from where I am now. Uh, I also haven't listened to that podcast since it was made. So <laughs> um, and so it's like, "Huh, did I do that?" And and so it's it is like uh, again, y- you earlier, you said that like you were being hard on me or whatever, but like, no, I, I think it's good to identify these things because I, I wouldn't have questioned it otherwise. And so like when I listened to one, this is, this is a good thing to, you know, I listened to one recently
1: too. Um, it was one of the newer music ones. It was a musician. I can't remember his name. It was, it was, it was a guy. Uh, but there was part where you were like, I don't, and you said it earlier uh, in this in this block of the the podcast you're like I don't identify with Venezuelan stuff. And like my music has nothing to do with Venezuela. And I'm like that also is an otherizing kind of like white perspective. And I'm not saying that you have a white perspective, but that is like this Eurocentric white centric or not Eurocentric, but like a, an Anglo white Caucasian centric thing of if it's Venezuelan sounding music, it has to sound like Venezuelan music. It's like, no, Venezuelan American music is whatever music you're making through the lens that you're making it through. Like Filipino American music, there might be some like, you know, indigenous, uh, uh, references or, or things like that, but it doesn't sound like, like music, like, like ethnically stereotypical music of the Philippines. It's music of this space. I like to say that my music, uh, uh, my music is of Asia, Amer- Asian America, which is not a place you can draw on a map. It's not something you can put borders around. It's just wherever my music exists. You know, it's this music of my perspective and my experience. And so when you're otherizing Venezuelan music, you're like, well, the music I make growing up in American culture is like, no. Your experience as whatever is Venezuelan American music. It does not have to sound like, you know traditional historic Venezuelan music. And I think this comes from, as somebody who studied, we both are sympathetic with this, we studied in, in like a Western conservatory style setting. We have musicology, which is historical musicology, quote unquote, and that is white European. Then we have ethnomusicology, which is brown people, right? And so just this hierarchy and this division that is still accepted today in 2021 is really deflating and, and and damaging to our psyches in that you're participating in this, and I'm not saying it's conscious, but you're like, well, my music doesn't sound like this, or right? You're kind of like inferiorizing brownness.
0: I don't I don't think that's the case, and and I still kind of agree with what I'm saying. I think that there's a different uh, framing in the communication Uh, in because I think you're you're right in a manner of speaking because it's like yes I am Venezuelan and so the music that I make is Venezuelan Uh, and so like that's just not I guess the context necessarily that I was communicating in It's, it's more just that like the yeah i don't i don't know it's like the the whenever you trace sounds to their roots and so it's like you can you can look at like west coast hip-hop versus east coast hip-hop and like identify that like oh this one sounds like west coast hip-hop and you can like listen to the things in it that sound like it and and these are the things that make east coast hip-hop sound like it does. I think that's more the realm that I was thinking about in that, like, if you like sort of clinically, (laughs) I guess go like, what does Venezuelan music sound like? I think I would go to like the source, which is like people born in Venezuela, making music in Venezuela generations over. And like, that context like you can identify qualities in that music that like venezuelan styles have and so i don't know if like i think that's more of the the way that i mean is that like i don't know if i have venezuelan styles in my music any more than i have like atlanta trap styles in my music does that make sense i
1: think it does but it 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 doesn't, you know, cause it's still stereotypical, you know what I'm still, <laughs> you're still otherizing and you're still saying like, well, Venezuelan is this and you're putting it in a box. And that's where I'm like, I didn't say you're a Venezuelan. I said, you're Venezuelan American music, you know, and I'm not trying to like prescribe music onto yourself either. I'm just saying there is potentially like the coloring mentality of like anti-brown or anti-X, Y, or Z and it's not to be like anti-American or anti-white. It's to build a positive ethnic and cultural identity that uh, includes both and. Uh, and that's the tough thing. That's the tough equilibrium that I think we're all coming in. So you're reinforcing, I'll just in my opinion, some relatively malicious ideas that then culturally within your 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 sphere of I don't want to say influence, but like your friend, your family, your framework, your your the people in your in your Atmosphere kind of covertly or overtly uh, uh, reinforcing you, covertly or overtly reinforce, so it triggers automatic thoughts. And you're trying to uh, compare it to like East Coast and West Coast hip hop. Well, there's the question of chicken or the egg. Did they want to differentiate themselves uh, musically? Of course. Did it come through technology? Did it come through regional uh, things? You know, before we had Spotify and YouTube, like it took a lot more capital and effort and time to release music so it was more isolationist then when we're talking about 90s stuff like 90s and late 80s east coast and west coast hip-hop which is near and dear to my heart but like and today we're reinforcing those because that's the clear origin of it and so you know you listen to like Dave East and he sounds very like you know uh, Spanish Harlem, you know, and you listen to like Kendrick Lamar and he sounds very West coast because of the predecessors before that. But it was this isolationist thing and this desire to be different, this desire to differentiate. But now that we live in, uh, the 21st century in 2021, like, how does that affect it? Are we still trying to otherize? And I feel like the East coast, West coast to, to kind of poke a hole in it. Like that was the desired effect. Uh, versus now like trying to say like, I don't know, like anti, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you, uh, I, I've, I've said enough, <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> come for me, man. Come for it. No, well, like I'm, I'm trying to see the, the differences in communication because this is really intriguing to me that like the, cause I don't think, or at least as far as I can tell, I never used any sort of positive or negative uh, descriptors for you know West Coast or East Coast hip hop in the same way that I oh, use well, positive you just or brought negative descriptors up. to say,
1: and I don't think you had a positive or negative. I'm talking about like the way you view venezuela Like, let's go back to the Venezuelan versus like non like like American or non Venezuelan stuff. And you're like, there's certain markers in there. There's certain tropes, if you will. Like, I don't. Yeah. I, I think you're right <laughs> on some merit, and you're like you're right about Atlanta trap music, and you're right about a lot of these other things. But like the fact that there are borders and boundaries around it that you're not willing to say, it's more of a philosophical and, and decontextualized thing. Of like, I think you have aspirations for whiteness, and I, I think that's fine if that's if that's what you want to do. <laughs> I, do I, I do, and cool. I do, and I. And and that's no, no, fine. Like it's, that's it's you do you. Funny. Man. <laughs> it's funny. It's <laughs> funny. I, I would I would love to do a play-by-play with your I would do like the Tro- the second Troy Troy Small uh Troy Anthony Small thing like that'd be fun. Sure. Like, we shouldn't do that like not now but like that'd be fun or having I would I would love to come back on with Troy and like have these conversations or somebody else. Yeah. Uh, that'd be a fun like round table discussion. <laughs> and and like there were very positive and negative implicit associations and you, you know, whiteness with Americanness, citizenship with whiteness. And you were talking about the gringo, uh, you know, etymology of that. I think that's at play, but I don't think that's the source of everything personally.
0: Sure. I mean, it's, it's a, it's like an explanation. I, I can't say it's the, the source for everything, but like, I, it, it's just a, a thought that I had, but like, I don't know. I, the more so i'm speaking in like terms of like qualities in things whenever you describe something as like bright or dark or you describe something as like silky smooth or whatever you know qualities that you could hear in music i think that whenever you identify different stylistic choices and, and some of them aren't choices. It, they just sort of happen. But like you can identify qualities in music without necessarily saying good or bad. It's just that it's things that are present in the music. I think that's something is that like especially, you know, we're both composers. And like one of the things about or at least from my education uh, is that like there are things that we're trying to evoke and we're trying to communicate something in the music and where we have this toolbox and we're pulling things out of it to achieve certain forms of communication or certain feelings or certain whatever it might be. And so that that's more the realm that I'm speaking in is that like if I was to try to make something in a certain style, there are qualities that I would lean into to make that happen does that make sense
1: it does i'm glad you went down this this path because this is this is a little easier to address now so you're talking about education which includes things like music theory musicology uh right and training technique all of this stuff well it's this very eurocentric thing and this monocultural approach to education into what is music you know, one of your guests is like, you know, when you realize all music is the same, they're like, they all use the same notes. I'm like, do they? (laughs) You know, giving giving them a hard time. (laughs) But uh, so this monocultural approach to things and then saying, well, I have tools in my tool bag to create something in a certain style. Well, number one, you have a monocultural tool bag, not to, and, and I'm sure you have like different experiences and yada, 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 yada. But if we're looking from, and this is just to talk more broadly about like classically quote unquote trained musicians, um, which include both of us. So we can speak from like a shared educational uh, perspective uh, and, and probably find some listeners that, that also fall into this category as well. When you say styles and you have a tool bag, well, it's a monocultural tool bag, And then you're saying styles, well, who determined those styles? How are we determining those styles? If we're listening from a white centric perspective and a colonial mindset, until we decolonize and find those things to be not inferior, but equal to, and not have negative association, uh, negative uh, implicit associations with those, we can't truly see those and look past and see the forest for the trees and be like, oh, well, I can create music. As this experience that is not, that that does not follow these tropes. And I I believe also that too often musicians boil music down to like pitch and rhythm and don't think about mood, aesthetic, uh, texture, timbre, uh, you know, sculpting things like that, and looking at things more broadly from an uh, affect, like an AFFECT, and not an effect. Like, like the if effect of using certain pitch collections, not the affect, like how it makes us feel and what it invokes. Cause you use that term evoke. And when we look at it from this, this perspective of Eurocentric music or white centric music, then we will always see it in that way. And that's why like music theory just drives me crazy. I, I, I'm decent at music theory. I'm, I'm good at it. You know, like I could do the European stuff. Like I went through the trainings, like ad nauseum, but just this obsession with like, uh, you know, common practice period, music theory, and like functional harmony and tonality is just, I see so many young composers like, well, I'm writing this and it's tonal and it has to, I have to have this sonority or this chord next. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Like, you don't have to follow these these limitations and these rules because it's a really detrimental system that sets us up as Brown individuals to feel lesser about music. We literally have a different and oftentimes, I don't want to, I I won't say that. We have two different classifications of historical musicology and just that term meaning it's historical, it has impacted history, and then ethnomusicology, this other stuff. You know, it's just decolonizing ourselves, decolonizing our minds, and decolonizing our work to feel as though we can be on equal footing with, you know, European music of long dead people. Uh, But, you know, just the stylistic stuff like i'm like come on man you know
0: <laughs> there's nothing wrong well, with it but i still don't understand you still don't understand i, I don't understand like what the <laughs> there are differences in music that's a statement that can be made yes
1: <laughs>
0: yeah uh and there are th- qualities in music that we can use and we can use different words to describe those qualities to identify those differences in music. Yes. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's all I'm saying.
1: Sure. <laughs> and I'm just saying broad, you broaden your, your horizons a little bit. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. I'm just saying in, in what way? Uh, I, I would love to do a play by play with you for some stuff just cause I'm like, just the implicit associations. I think now that we're having a conversation and you're, you're more conscious of the language that you're probably going to use. Yeah. That the neutral reactions aren't necessarily going to come out. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to like, you know, uh, like throw that much shade or anything. I'm just trying to be like, it breaks my heart when I hear, especially young men of color and young women of color be so, so uh, negative with, with certain aspects of brownness. And so like, aspirational with whiteness. And I, again, I don't find anything wrong with whiteness. I feel like we're all equal. And that's the whole thing. of I don't want negative around whiteness or maleness or, or heterosexuality or anything. It's finding things that are not that being equal, you know. Uh,
0: anyway. Well, again, that's where I feel like our our communication is breaking down because like I don't, I'm still not seeing it. Like, <laughs> I, I still don't see where, like, you know, if, if I look at some older music that I've done and I'm like, oh, I don't like that as much because blank and. And I don't know if there's anything in there that. Maybe is like I'm putting myself down for like not being white enough or like i don't i don't think that's what it is in me i uh, don't know if musically <laughs> like it's, i think there's, there's a thing th-
1: it's it's the language that was used that had just negative negative associations or positive associations with with certain demographics and and that's just the thing it's such a it's the most american thing you know <laughs> like we're both raised in american culture it's a very american thing and so when confronted the, with this it it really is we we get into a defensive position, and and I've been in a very defensive position with with some of my language too, of associating like citizenship with whiteness, associating associating like quality of music with with like very historically Eurocentric standards within classical music. Um, you know, it's just really hard to tear down those those barriers. Uh, and it's just difficult. It's it's too difficult to have in like a two hour conversation, uh, you know. Which is right, I am right. applauding us for trying. <laughs> and like, and like you know, it's one of those things of of it takes a lot of vulnerability and a lot of like really deep conversations to have with with yourself and with other people to really understand how like something as simple as like when you said there's not a trace of an accent, and and that makes you passing. There's nothing wrong with saying that, but there is this association with non-Spanish uh, accents being, there's no doubt that it's passing, like you can pass, but there, there's something implicitly negative about one aspect and implicitly positive about another aspect. And it's not, that's not a bad thing because it's, that's what you are feeling in that moment, but it's about addressing it so that in the future, with with yourself or other people, or, or you know, we become positive about things. It's like body positivity, like uh, right. We, we're talking a lot about this in, in the media and culture, and like people's bodies not being hard on yourself if you're not super thin or super ripped or super whatever. Like loving yourself for whoever you are. And I think when when there is a negative association with the English language or accents, uh, that can make f- people feel inferior. For example. You know, like my father has to white code when he goes into work or finding employment and he still has a thick Filipino accent. And that doesn't mean that he is lesser, you know, and I used to think that. And I think a lot of Filipinos do, like you have an Americanized accent or a non-Filipino accent and it, it, it means you're better. And that's a, that's a really like, that's a heavy thing to think about like that we, we grade people on this. And it's not about diction, like, and like clarity of communication or, or eloquence with the, the English language. It's literally about the mechanical delivery of it based on experience and based on uh, upbringing, nationality, race, culture, all of these things. And that's what I'm finding to be uh, enlightening about this conversation and, and just why I felt the need to bring it up in the last block was like, it's a negative thing to do. You know, it's, it's, and there's your opinions and thoughts and you have every right to, to those opinions and thoughts. But like, man, if it, if it, if it's that kind of like shoot from the hip, easy for you to say in one podcast, like what are the other things that you kind of value and devalue? Not you specifically, but like you in general, like, like right, us right, in yeah, general. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> from, from that point. I understand. Yeah, that—that's what I was going, <laughs> and not necessarily uh, with
1: like your work, your yeah. music, your aesthetic, or anything like that. I was literally talking about like coded language and like the the implicit associations that we have, and I think it runs really deep in music because if you study music at the at uh, uh, the college level, or uh, you know, you cl- you study music classically at whatever age, typically it comes from. Western canon. And there's nothing wrong with that canon. I'm not devaluing that canon. I'm trying to value non-Western music and raise it to the level, going back to the football field, like argument, like, okay, well, okay, Filipino and Filipino American music can also take a step forward, you know, Um, right there with like German music of, you know, the, the 19th century.
0: Well, yeah, but that's, again, I think that you're, it's, it's just like a different form of communication that I hadn't identified in the the context by which like I haven't associated my own music as Venezuelan American music because I like that's just not a, a vector in my brain yet. And now it is because of this conversation. And it's like, oh, cool. Like, I guess I do make Venezuelan American music, but I like that wasn't. I didn't know that that was a, a way that I could classify things. Uh, and nor do I like seek to do that necessarily. Like, I don't know. I think that's part of the toxicity. Like, I don't
1: know. So, right. I, I do. I firmly <laughs> believe this. Like, you're like, oh, I didn't know that until now. Well, and this goes back to like you saying stylistic things. So you're painting yourself in a box and going, Venezuelan American music must sound like this. It's like, no the identity is imposed upon you you can't help how you're who you're born to where you're born all of these things that you have no control over right it's it's the chicken
0: neck thing right so
1: <laughs> it's it's this imposed identity and it can be a burden or it can be something that you champion and it can be something that you elect and it's up to you you can choose to be neutral on it you can choose to reject it or you can choose to elect it you can choose to do whatever you want with it but it's about bringing this to to the conversation and bringing this in your own mind and, and the negative, the implicit negative associations. And again, we might call them, they're called microaggressions, um, right? And and at the end of the day, like sticks and stones, right? But microaggressions do have long reaching effects when we think about how somebody feels, right? It, it reinforces things, chicken or the egg. Do stereotypes come from, fact or do they come from, uh, uh, you know, insensitive things, right? Like uh, we can, I don't want to throw out a, a racial stereotype because I don't want to be offensive, but like there's plenty of them that are just not productive and they're not accurate. And it's because of quote unquote microaggressions or because cultural entrainment. And so again, having a negative implicit association with brownness and a positive with whiteness, it sh- it could and should be positive with both um, is all I'm saying. You know, it doesn't have to be a binary choice. It's both and
0: or <laughs> m- multiple. Sure. And. Yeah. The <laughs> I, I guess the like I haven't identified that. There is a chicken or egg or whatever, <laughs> like I I think that's the the difference here and and that like. I guess one, thank you for like showing me a realm of thinking in that way, because I like it really is like I make music and I classify it in ways just that people classify music (laughs) like I I I have an album out on Spotify and that is ambient music and that is as close to whatever like not that there has to be a classification but there has to be a classification because it's like the the database of music requires something to organize it by
1: that's different because it's an a cultural association right right Um, and it it doesn't have a power (laughs) dynamic at least at least Mm. not not in like detrimental ways like there's no right there's no there's no power holder there's no like there's no asymmetrical relationship with ambient music versus something. And I'm not saying versus in like a competitive way. I'm saying in like in a comparative way, shall we say, where there is for like whiteness and racial minorities. And I'm not saying it's a positive thing. I'm saying it's a reality of there is a uh, comparative issue. And I think you're you're also alluding to some comparative issues, too. And, and I'm, I'm playing into it because that's what we're talking about Um but like you're using this this kind of reductio ad absurdum like well I, I labeled it as ambient yeah that's that's totally fine and that's a way for us to communicate things um, but anyway yeah it's I'll let you say something because I feel like I ramble a
0: lot. <laughs> well well no it's it's interesting because again I'm I'm trying to understand and and this is like I I don't want you to take my discomfort as like uh (laughs) um i don't know uh, annoyance or or whatever like this is really like a place i haven't gone to yet and so that's what's so fun about this
1: Uh (laughs) i love it these conversations are uncomfortable and that is necessary for for growth for, for you and i i have these conversations all the time with people and they're never comfortable i've had countless conversations Um, in person in private in public uh, and wherever about this like this is something i'm very passionate about and something that every time i have the platform to do so i talk about it because it it should be talked about until we correct this problem sorry to interrupt but i'm like let's let's bathe in the discomfort (laughs) let's bask in it yeah (laughs)
0: exactly and so and that's a weird thing i don't know if like so then because of the the thing that you said about like having a, a the toolbox if you will do you see it as a toolbox or are you just doing things because like i know that whenever i make musical choices they have intent and i know in in some ways as to why i'm making those choices to like achieve a certain thing that i'm going for in the music and there's definitely times where something unconscious will happen but like the the toolbox is still there so like i guess i want to understand how your approach is with that musically
1: yeah it's a good it's a good question uh i like the toolbox i'm glad that you brought that that metaphor up because the thing that i always say about Composers. When like somebody that's not usually a musician or or you know not a creative artist or identify as a creative artist, uh they're like, So why music? Why 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 compose? Like what does a composer do exactly? Like, I know you write music and you like do this or that. It's like, what do you do? And I say, composers are good listeners and great problem solvers. So using the toolbox example. We identify a problem and we use our toolbox to solve it. Our metaphorical toolbox. We don't really have a toolbox. Well, sometimes we do, but um, you know, and, and going back to the, the first conversation about sound versus music, opening and broadening your horizons and not categorizing it in black and white terms of like music versus sound music versus noise, tone versus noise, this versus that, this or that, it's both and allows you to expand your toolbox. Um, in the same way that if you become uh, only entrained with, like an undergraduate theory one through five or three one through four, depending on the sequence, uh, training of Western tonality or, or harmonic uh, functional harmony and and common practice period stuff, that is your toolbox, and I'm not it's it's not limited. But it is limited, and and until you decide to add to the toolbox, or utilize other tools, um, then then you're kind of stuck with that. I don't know if this is answering your question a little bit. Um, <laughs> and there's universal things I guess like
0: w- whatever your approach is. Yeah, uh, I want to. Oh, okay, know about so you. well, I mean, <laughs> like there's a hammer.
1: Like every you can use a hammer for a lot of things: to hammer a nail, to dislodge a nail, to tap something into place. But if we expand our vocabulary and we we see things not in a hierarchical sense, it becomes a little bit equal, right? We're not saying this is sound, this is noise, this is music, this is good, this is bad. This is a tool. Sound is a tool, right? Like,
0: Did it seem like I was implying that noise is bad? No, I was just using that
1: as an example. Not, not,
0: I'm not coming for you in that way. Like, (laughs) I don't,
1: I think we're, we're similar in that, that, uh, understanding. Right. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But that's just a a decent example. Yeah. It's a decent example that a lot of people have of like, (laughs) that's noise. Well, that's this. Well, that's, that's tone. That's music. That's in tune. Well, no, that's, Equal temperament. No, that's just intonation. That's 24-tone equal temperament. Oh, that's some kind of microtonal thing. That's whatever, right? Like Anything's fair game.
0: Yeah, but then do you classify? Does it matter? I think
1: classification (laughs) can help us navigate when we uh, distribute, when we kind of put this out into the world. So classifying it as ambient music or Western classical music or whatever, like Baroque music. It's baroque music, and we understand that classification, or it's pop music, or it's rock music, or it's hip hop, or it's like acid jazz. Like, it doesn't mean that we have to conform to these ideals. But once we create, then we can say, okay, how can we, in the case of Spotify, like it's like, give us a, a, a like a genre and then like a style, or like a subgenre or something, right when you release, and then it's like list a few artists that are uh, similar. Right. So it it kind of forces us to do that. And again, we have to make the conscious choice of of abiding by that. But that doesn't mean that we can't create something in the process of making that is not uh, more open. I think there's a big difference between creating or being in the creative process and the product. Um, When it's ready for Spotify, it's it's done I mean, I you guess you can edit it in some way. You can take it down and change it, but it's done. You're, you're probably paying money to put it out.
0: <laughs> I mean, Kanye tried to, like, edit an album, so was, I guess you can now, too. So I mean, you can, <laughs> it's just not. I mean, he, he
1: has a lot of power and money to, to do that, so there's probably some difference, too. Like, he,
0: I'm, I'm pretty sure he's, like, pretty broke now, but. Uh, <laughs> the- oh, really? Well, I mean, he's got a name, though. I mean, he can. Yeah, uh, that's something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I
1: was on a compilation album, and it yeah, they 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 screwed up the track, and they they credited me with somebody else's track and somebody else with my track, and it took like months to fix it. <laughs> and I was like, come on, like yeah. this shouldn't be that hard. But there's there's red tape and hoops to jump through. Sorry to cut you off.
0: But- I guess I I want to understand a little more of your creative process of like whenever you make decisions that because like I don't know whenever I'm making something. I will choose a sound deliberately for something like I want a pad type sound. And that's already like, you know, pigeonholing a lot of things into what I can possibly make with that thing. Uh, And so like, but I also know that that's the decision that I'm making. (laughs) So like, I don't know if I've, fully experienced like a true true freedom whatever that means uh, I also don't believe in free will so that's a, a weird way of communicating but the <laughs> I know that there's always something influencing my decision and that there's always something that I'm going for even whenever I don't know what it is that I'm making
1: <laughs> yeah so, uh, do is, uh, you have a, like a direct question? you want me to just riff on that? <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> well, I, I'm sorry. I kind of got stunned when you were like, I don't believe in free will. And I was like, so how are you making these decisions? That's just a semantical thing. We, we, can, we can touch on that. Sure, but, uh, sure. Um, yeah. We are driven by these decisions and we're driven by categorizing sounds. And for me, I mean, I guess it depends if you're talking about like a pad sound you're probably talking from some kind of database even if you're editing it like you're looking at some kind of source digital
0: source yeah well i mean whenever you can like build a sense it's still from from scratch and adjust it's still from like some kind of
1: source or palette material where you're you're
0: you're stacking these things sometimes sometimes i'll just start with a sine wave yeah and you manipulate it so it's still a source
1: there's still a sort. For me, I, I work very in the analog world, converting it to digital and then usually back and forth. Uh, but see, even if I'm doing like notated concert music, like I do everything by hand and then I digitize it later. Like I write scores by hand and all this. Um, so for me, the decision, like I labor over it quite a bit and I, I really explore it. Like I'll, I'll spend an entire eight-hour session recording, there's a piano over here, so I'm pointing, uh, recording piano and the same like three second thing, I'll spend like hours doing it until I get it right. And I don't feel like manipulating it digitally, uh, in post, right? I want to capture it raw, like in the analog form with whatever mic setup I have. And sometimes the mic setup's wrong and I'm like, oh, I want something dirty or I want something really clean or I want this, or I want to run it through this effect before it hits The converter you know the 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 interface before it's like digitized i want to have the the sound most like what i want so for me it's those are limitations but i lean into them and i make them work for me or at least i try to make them work for me they don't always work for me but uh uh, and sometimes i get stubborn and caught in my own like game
0: yeah (laughs) there's there's a I mean, I guess like the bigger question then becomes, it's like, how do you know that like you said you mess with it for this, you know, three second thing, you mess with it until it's right. And I noticed the use of the word right because, oh, ah, yeah, like as a, as a composer, we know when it's like, that's it. I don't know what it is, but I know that that is.
1: <laughs> uh, that's a good, that's, yeah, thanks for calling me on that. What is right? I don't know. Uh, until I find that it works. And to kind of, not to like defer from that, sometimes I'll, I'll spend several hours on like a really short thing. And then as I'm layering and layering, layering, I'm like, man, that first, that thing that I recorded like for four hours, that doesn't work anymore. So then it's wrong when I recontextualize it with new, excuse me, with newer stuff, it may lose, um, I don't want to say value, but it, it does lose its contextual value. And I go, I can do better. Critical self-awareness. Like I'm like, oh, that doesn't work. Or I got to let it go. Um, you know, that's giving up.
0: It's so hard to decide what you want, especially so many times when you don't actually know what you want. <laughs> yeah. That, that was the yeah. end of that thought. Sorry. No, I agree.
1: <laughs> I agree. Uh, it's hard to 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 let something go, because um, at some point you'll just edit and edit and edit and edit and edit, and it becomes something completely new. So at a certain point, you just got to go. I let it go. I don't have this like magnum opus complex where everything has to be perfect, and it's my one big piece or my one big album or something. It's like this is good. This is a snapshot of what I've done, and it's sounds good in some way, shape, or form. My next project will address this or that or the other, right? I don't know. That's that's how I view it. It kind of in this like fleeting way.
0: Yeah, uh, I've always described it, and I don't know if you you see it this way too. But it's like chiseling away at the marble that isn't the statue. And so it's like so. Sometimes you're just trying a whole bunch of different things, and it's like I know that that's not right, and I don't know what right is. But whenever I find it, I'll know that that's the statue.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you called me on that word right. Because I, I think I say that too often. <laughs> uh, does this work contextually maybe is a better way to, to phrase that. Because uh, just because it's not right for that piece or that track or that whatever, doesn't mean it's not right for for something else. Was that different? You ever watched Different Strokes, that show? I haven't, no. Uh, it was an 80s show. Uh, well, the theme song is, is it takes different strokes, right? What might be right for you may not be right for some. Is a line in it. So when I think about right versus wrong, that's like a cultural thing that I think about. Uh, So it's contextually quote unquote right, but just it contextually works.
0: What is, I guess, what's the struggle then that becomes like, how do you, I guess, what's the hard part of discovery or creation? Because like, I don't know i feel like for for me whenever i am searching for the statue within the marble to continue to use that metaphor it is like the maybe it's because of the education that i've received that i, I do have this sort of context of like using the toolbox to like describe or or locate the thing and it's like well this isn't this isn't where I want to be going. What other tools can I pull out to achieve this thing that I'm going for? And so it's like, I I know that there's like a whole bunch of... There's like books about like creative methods and stuff and trying different things and you know, being upside down or like going out for a walk and all that sort of stuff that like people say that like really does somehow help the creative process. And so it's like, what is does that stuff work for you do you have a different approach with that
1: i think what you were mentioning uh like hanging uh uh, uh, say hanging upside down yeah (laughs) yeah yeah it's just uh, i think a lot of those creative uh, uh processes you know that i've read are like it's pretty much getting you out of your comfort zone like physically mentally emotionally uh whatever just getting you out of your comfort zone because then going back to the think of composers are great listeners and and great problem solvers you're having to solve this problem of discomfort and what do you find comfort in for me it's music for me it's sound for me it's creating that world so how do i kind of like find my life raft back to my comfortable like my comfort zone musically so if i if i put myself in an uncomfortable position uh, and that could be limitations like i've done pieces where i just play piano and i i don't i'm not i'm not a I'm not a great pianist. I'm not a, uh, I'm like, like, I'm not terrible. I'm not good though. You know? So if I can make a piece that, that requires me and I put myself in this comfort zone of, uh, playing piano, I have a, uh, an album called Violent Yellow that's on Spotify and there's three pieces, I think three pieces. Yeah. Three pieces that are piano pieces that I just ran through effects. I ran through pedals and I did the whole, all of them in one take. So I spent like days getting the take right. And and the music was, structurally improvised. So things in it were slightly different, but I had to find the perfect by the perfect. I mean like the, the take that I could live with. Um, and it was very uncomfortable for me. And sometimes the, the, the outboard effects would fail. And I'm listening back as I'm playing it like, Oh, can I live with that? Or do I need to do a new take? Like there's one thing that just went not great. And sometimes there's happy accidents, but, um, achieving comfort, I think we, we go to things that challenge us and we go to things that make us feel comfortable. So musically, that's in the creative process where I go. I want to have both, both and, <laughs> going back to that.
0: What's, what's the toy or effect or whatever thing that you always find yourself like going back to? And it's like, oh yes, all reliable over here. I know that if I run something through that, I'll be more content with it.
1: Oh, that's a good question uh, there's a lot um slight I'll, I'll run things through my amps uh because i'll get some natural compression and and usually some overdrive if i crank them and then i can mic the the, the speaker to the cab or whatever i can mic that and get something interesting uh or if i want to do it in a slightly more controlled way i can run it through uh like a tube streamer or like some kind of dirt box some overdrive or distortion or fuzz and just go, you know, di right in, uh, or a tape, like I'll use a reel to reel player and I'll crinkle up the magnetic tape before, or I'll like, like I haven't changed this tape in a long time. So I just keep recording over it and it's totally degraded. but it gives me that it takes off some of the high end and it muffles some of the lower frequencies. And I kind of know what I'm going to get, but I kind of don't know what I'm going to get. And so there's a precariousness to it. of like, I know 95% of what I'm going to get, but there's that like 5%. I'm like, Ooh, that has a little pop in it. That's kind of cool. And it's subtle or or it took off a little bit more high end or it didn't take off enough high end and I can change it up, do something else. So there's comfort
0: where, I guess, where are you struggling with musically? I, I think that, so I use that sort of, to make an example is that like, I know that I could be better at guitar, or I know that I could be better at piano, um, and it's like there's things that I want to do, or like instruments that I want to be able to play. That, for example, I I don't play drums. I wish I did. I wish I had drums. Or a space for them uh <laughs> and so there's like there's songs i have in my head that i'm like i wish i could play drums but i'm just gonna have to hire a drummer to play it but like there's they're sort of the musical areas that where we're like stretching towards and it's like i want to be able to do that but i'm not there yet where is that for you
1: yeah uh uh-huh. So what you were talking about was maybe, uh, the concept of like virtuosity and also the, the concept of like access. And I think that's probably a universal thing of like, we all wish we had some more chops, you know, to use like that, that phrase, like, we had more chops, I think just generally more chops. Uh, sure. I, I get, you know, I'm working on a gig right now, um, playing some like funk music from the seventies that we're going to do like a, a COVID style concert and, I love that music. I my my chops though are like not not the best with that because at the end of the day, uh, I'm like a sound maker. I'm a composer. I you know, going back to like middle school band, I would play and I would change I would like reharmonize things. And I remember we had a really like big Big dude for a band director, and he was kind of scary. And he would yell at me all the time. He's like, "What are you doing? What are you, you play? Play the notes on the page, because I'm the only like clarinetist playing something like a fifth up, or you know." And it was like, "That well, sounds good, you know." And I didn't know theory at the point, so I was just going on ear. Um, but I feel like I, I get there with guitars that I have this, in some contexts, context, a good habit of exploration and of re, reharmonizing or redoing things on guitar. Uh, but it's also a bad habit in this case. Cause I need to just play what's in the chart, <laughs> you know? So I have to like control my urges to be a composer and like really focus myself. I feel like musically, cause that's where I get a, a, a slice of my income is gigging and I'm getting a lot better at it. Cause I, I you know, I could play the things, but I get kind of lost in the moment. Um, I'm like, oh, I really, I want to play this and I, I like see how much I can get away with. And like, I push those boundaries a little too much sometimes where the music director be like, just, just don't play. If you're going to do that, just don't play this, this, this passage. (laughs) Like, okay, Uh, that works too. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with not playing. Uh, So I think, you know, virtuosic chops, I'm there. And access, I I also agree. I have percussion stuff laying around and I just wrote a grant that I hopefully might get specifically for uh, like a shell kit, you know, like a, a drum kit and finding some like cheap used symbols on Craigslist or something. Uh, So hopefully I'm, I'm right there with you. Like your answer is my answer.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there was, there was a thing the other day that happened where like there was a piano and it's like, uh, I feel the same way. Like I'm, I'm not good at piano, but I, you know, we compose most of the time. Like I compose a lot of the time at the piano And so it's like, it felt weird that like, I was being looked at as like the music guy in front of a piano. And I was like, I have no idea what to do here. (laughs) Even though like, I know how to use the instrument. I know how to write things for it. I I can make really cool stuff for it. But when it's my hands on the piano, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And and to contextualize it, going back to a previous conversation, like, what is virtuosity? virtuosity within what kind of music
0: right right and like music <laughs> having the ability to do something that like being able to communicate the thing that's in your head into the okay. instrument
1: okay well that's that's yeah because i'm like i'm never gonna play like rock modern enough. like i i can't do that i have you know my hands aren't built for that my my attention span isn't built to like train myself to do that either not that i have like a short attention span it's just i don't I don't want to put that much stock into to learning how to play that stuff. Not because I don't like it; it's just I, I'm not going to do that. Um, but yeah, like what what is virtuosity and and music literacy? I think is oftentimes associated with sometimes virtuosity, and I think that's I don't want to say an elite, elitist way to look at things, but it is a um, it is a strange way to look at things because some of the best musicians I've ever met don't read a single thing about like notation. They don't know how to, how to read notation that doesn't make them lesser or better or worse or anything. Um, but anyway, it's this, this classical lens through which we see everything virtuosity. There's a lot of virtuosic guitar players out there that could not read like classical guitar was my, uh, primary study, uh, and and I'm not as good of a guitarist. as plenty of people that don't read that at all. And I have like chops and technique that is very coded within that world. But that doesn't, yeah. Like I'm, I, I struggle to play some some things that are a little bit easier, uh, quote unquote, like easier in terms of like mechanical placing of fingers. Um, yeah. Anyway, virtuosity is tough to, to define, yeah.
0: though. Yeah. Well, no, it, it is the 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 weird struggle of like, there's a thing in my head, I need to get it out. And like, uh, that's actually I think I heard a story from Ben Folds, that like he, he like listened to records a whole lot, or like listened to the radio a whole lot. And he was like, whenever his family got a piano, he was like, I'm gonna play it, I'm just gonna play the songs that I love. And like he he was a little kid then. And so he like he like listened to the song and then like sat at the piano and was like, why can't I do the thing? I hear it, I hear it so well, I know it really well, why can't I just do that? And yeah, that's the, that's the struggle I'm at with like every other instrument is that like if if you just substitute time for like skill, like I will totally <laughs> spend every every moment perfecting the sound so that someone else can do it
1: (laughs) yeah one that's your priority Ben Folds uh, I grew up uh, I went to high school in Raleigh North Carolina and I was in high school when Ben Folds was coming up in Raleigh and so I went to go see him when he was like first starting out and he's great but he was not Ben Folds to, today <laughs> when i saw no yeah, shade like <laughs> it, it was it was rough and I, I i liked that a lot i really liked going to see him out at like you know berkeley cafe and all those uh those places up in raleigh when i was a teenager and he was not a, a teenager he was a few years older than me
0: well with no other way to uh <laughs> end this conversation as other than just a tangent uh <laughs> Thank you for doing this with me. where can we find new <laughs> things? Uh, yeah thank you for
1: having me on it was it was a lot of fun. yeah, I'm glad we had some tough conversations and yeah definitely. And had like a very uncomfortable like uh, f- hour at least if not like hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs>
0: maybe two hours, I don't know. yeah, so plug your your stuff, your website and where we can find all your music.
1: Cool. Uh, same website as the the first block. I'm sure you'll link it on anger FM and all that. Uh, it's joshuamarquez.com. You can search for it in Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon. Uh, but if you go to my website, I have it linked. Uh, I have a Bandcamp also linked. And uh, for those on social, uh, you can follow me at Joshua Marquez music. I don't have a Facebook or Twitter though.
0: Thank you so much. This has been a really cool and enlightening uh, conversation. So I'm Santiago Armones. Uh, Joshua Marquez. Thank you so much. And now here's Mandala by Joshua Marquez from his album, Violent Yellow. You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamonez.com. I make music. I have an EP, a short album, that will be releasing on May 28th. It's six instrumental electronic tracks that didn't quite fit into a major release. It's called Sound Bites, and it'll be the first of many EPs that include stray songs, pieces, or recordings. Be on the lookout for that, and follow me on Instagram to stay up to date with all the stuff that I'm doing, both at bit.depths and at Santiago Ramones Music. If you like the podcast, leave comments on social media, leave reviews saying how much you like the podcast, and tell your friends about it. I really couldn't be doing this without you, and I'm super grateful to continue doing BitDepth for this long. Thank you so much for listening to and supporting Bit Depth. I always end the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong.